Oh, hold on. Oh, you probably didn't hear that. Dang it. What? D- uh, I cracked open my beer, so. Oh, well, I have my pink hydro flask out. Make a sweet sound for it. Um, Fisco girl. <laughs> Whenever your pink hydro flask opens up, it says, Fisco girl. Yeah, it's I love like that so much. Like I'm the I'm the copper tone baby of Bisco girls, and I'm like <laughs> I'm on all their like trade publications with my ass out, you know, like oh who me? Oh this one, this old thing. Hmm. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan, and I didn't realize we were supposed to stop making mouth sounds. Welcome to the episode. This is what this is, though. You know, sometimes you make mouth sounds and sometimes you get recorded. That's part of it. Are you just saying that to make me feel better? Because I feel like that's your, basically your job right now. <laughs> I mean, those two things I said are true. Sometimes there's mouth sounds and sometimes they're recorded. All the time there's mouth sounds. I can identify them uh, in waveform. Which is a very, the only, I have a very intimate relationship with you, Nathan. You're the only person I can say that about on the face yeah. of the earth. We're talking about some stuff, Nathan. We're talking about the the Alabama, the Crimson Tide, and the University of Georgia Bulldogs playing them this next Saturday, of course, which is the whole purpose of this show. We're going to do a quick preview episode. You know, meat and potatoes of it all. By quick, you mean we're going to record for like two and a half hours. Yep. And then only an hour and a half of it will see the light of day. All right. So... Have you got a new segment for us? I do. There's something I wanted to do. So there's, you know, we with the the, the kind of the the formatting change that came this year. There's one thing that we're kind of missing, and Nathan and I really don't get to talk about the games previously together. We uh, we, we usually leave that up to Battle Hymnal, um, and they work through the the film review and everything, and kind of talk about the the weekend in review. But we want to kind of bring in a very Chapel Bell Curve way of talking about the weekend in review, and we're going to call it the weekend wrap up. And the way we're going to segment this out is it's going to be just at the top of the show, just for a few minutes, we're going to bring up some honorable mentions and some dishonorable mentions, and we'll kind of uh, separate both of those into between the hedges and outside the hedges. And so the reason why I even brought this up is because there were just so many weird things that happened over this past weekend outside of Georgia. Uh, there were a few things that happened in, in, you know, in Georgia's game. Man, oh man, was it a weird weekend for football? And Team Chaos is so alive right now. Yeah, powerful. And so I just wanted Chaos to kind of ball. work through it. Uh, the very first, let's go through some some honorable mentions first, uh, you know, and, and kind of see how it goes. What do you think? Do you want me to start? Something good? We're talking about good things we saw from the weekend. Outside of the yeah. hedges, Lane Kiffin and his, like, panty raid <laughs> face mask that I think yes. he thought was going to make him look like a bandito, but it just made him look like he had just, like, done something pretty sexist in in like a fraternity hazing kind of situation mm-hmm. i did appreciate how it just kind of rotated around his face over the course of the evening as well yeah it was like <laughs> guess where lane kiffin the bottom of his face is but oh. uh to his credit lane kiffin is an excellent offensive coach uh he has a really good offensive coordinator whose name escapes me right now Lane Kiffin just schemed the hell out of that team. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of it is that Alabama, I think, has taken a step back defensively in some ways. But he he has some weapons on that team. But, like, mistake me not. Like, Ole Miss, outside of, like, the skill positions, it's not a great roster. And while they basically lost that game because of defense, I mean, I think it's pretty respectable. Like, I'm not a big moral victories guy. But, like, when you're, when you're a first-year coach at Ole Miss and you can say, like, you know, if we'd gotten, like, one or two stops on the day, period, we probably would have beaten Alabama. Like, that's that's mm-hmm. a good job. And I, I want to just acknowledge that the lane train is not just a walking meme lord. He's also, like, a, a good coach. <laughs> yeah, that, that was an absolutely bonkers game. And just the thought of, like, <clears throat> I was watching through it and I was thinking, like, whoever makes just a stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll win this game. And that's exactly what happened. They eventually stopped Ole Miss and Bama responded with another touchdown. Probably, I, I assume it was probably Najee Harris just because they, you know, they decided they weren't going to play any run defense on uh, for Ole Miss at all. They just kind of let Najee Harris do things. Um, and that's fine. Well, we, that'll give us some information for this coming weekend. Uh, what other uh, honorable mentions do we have outside the hedges? You got a few here for yourself. Uh yeah, uh, Kellen Mond. We saw Doctor Jekyll, Kellen Mond, right? We yeah. saw 
Mr. Hyde Kellen Mond played against Alabama, but Dr. Jekyll Kellen Mond played against Florida. He looked really good, really sharp, really delivered well in the pocket. I was like, every time you see Kellen Mond play well, you're like, oh shit, this guy's a first round pick. And then when you play, see him play mm-hmm. not well, you're like, oh God. Um, no, this so is we bad. got the good version of him against Florida. Florida lost, so that's that's an honorable mention. Um, yeah. Oh, also the high school I work at, Commerce, they are using uh, advanced analytics now because I was bored and I took all of their plays and all of their opponents' plays and all of their scheduled opponents' plays and put them into a uh, pivot table because Josh of dog underscore stats taught me how to do it. So good for them Neat. getting in on the advanced <laughs> analytics train. You got to. Uh, so between the hedges, there was uh, a few moments. One of my favorite things that happens in football is when somebody kind of has like a breakout game. And I don't know if this is necessarily his breakout game, but I had many moments during the game where I had to look at the screen and kind of squint my eyes a bit and say, who is that doing that thing? And that was Jermaine Burton. Our freshman wide receiver, Jermaine Burton, had many moments where he was, you know, being pulled out from underneath a pile of dudes. And I just had to sit there and go, whose number is that? Um, he had that big 43-yard run that unfortunately ended in uh uh you know uh ended in uh, turning over on downs and uh he had a few really great catches over the the evening um i assume i feel like most of his catches were all explosive plays um in addition to that 43 yard run but i'm excited to see what else he does and a lot of that i feel like was made possible because george pickens just said how many guys do you want me to um you know hold on to back here <laughs> yeah <laughs> while uh, everybody else kind of has a day i will add that I think Monty Rice by far had his best game in a Georgia uniform. Uh, it was his highest graded mm-hmm. game via uh, per PFF, but he looked great. Uh, he looked good in coverage, looked good in pursuit, um, looked good on the rush. I mean, really just like reading well. Uh, he runs and he hits. And I think, you know, you don't think of Monty Rice as the guy in that inside linebacker room that's going to be playing on Sundays. But I think if he keeps playing like this, he definitely has a chance. He's playing right, lights out right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he probably is not as fast as like a Roquan Smith, but, you know, most people aren't. But he can mm-hmm. hit and he wraps and he's a sure tackler and he's not out of position. And it, especially inside linebacker, if you're just not out of position, a lot of the time you can play in the league. Do we have any dishonorable mentions? Oh, yes. We have many dishonorable mentions, which is this is why the whole segment was born in the first place. But my very first uh, outside the hedges dishonorable mention is Mississippi State and and further just Mike Leach in general. Um his, I feel like his hubris brought him to the SEC. It won him his first game, and his hubris has now brought him back down to the depths. <laughs> uh, KJ Costello, the quarterback over at Mississippi State, has gone in a span of three games from uh, Heisman talks and record-breaking numbers to being benched in three games. Uh, Mississippi State threw for, it was like, I think it was 70 times uh, that night and only gained 232 passing yards uh, on the evening. Which yeah. is just rough. Uh, and then eventually lost to Kentucky 24-2. to two. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Which is uh, an... the deep the deep comedy of Mike Leach con- continues. Mike mm-hmm. Leach is like a Greek tragic comedy mm-hmm. of a person. Truly. And then uh, another dishonorable mention, Dan Mullen. Just Dan Mullen uh, for blaming. <laughs> after, after the game, he was actually asked, you know, what do you think was the biggest deciding factor in your loss here tonight? Um, and Dan Mullen said he, he blamed the crowd sound. He said it was just so loud. There's so many people here. I, every time I turned around, I looked like there were more people behind the bench uh, than there were before, uh, you know, instead of just blaming Todd Grantham. Yeah. He also said that he wanted to pack out the the swamp against LSU, which is just yes. ironic because a Florida came out and said they weren't going to do that. And B, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this today, but Florida just suspended their team activities because of a COVID outbreak. They sure did. Just the the hits keep on coming, don't they, Dan? Yeah. Uh, did you have any dishonorable mentions inside between the hedges? Uh, just Trey Hill's ass. <laughs> Trey Hill's poor ass has still come back and uh, to bite us once more in this game. You know, we started off. What is it? it? Was our very first drive of the game? The ball bounced off said ass aforementioned, and. Uh, you know, fell backwards. Stetson Bennett tried to grab it, push it out for some reason instead of falling on it, which I'm sure that that was drilled over. That is being currently drilled out of him uh, as we speak. Uh, but then that that gave Tennessee their their touchdown uh, very very early in the game, first minute of the game. So um, yeah, I think that's something we could fix, though, right? Like it's got to be a matter of Trey Hill's back end and his size being not exactly like Lego 
fashion matching in Stetson Bennett's I mean, smaller I, frame. I, <laughs> I think, you know, it is definitely something that's coachable. Um, you know, also, he probably was pretty amped up. Because that first snap mm-hmm. that went over Stetson's head, it was like, I, that was like a punt snap. That was, it wasn't even mm-hmm. his butt. I don't think that, that was the problem. He was it just was so like, jazzed. Yeah, he just like bumped it up right right up there, unless he was trying to avoid his butt or something. Um, <laughs> He's trying to avoid AMP. Yeah, so he just went right up there. Um, I I also would say, like, Desarno will mention, like, you know, like the offensive line didn't have a super great day. Tennessee didn't didn't really blitz that much, and they had some free rushers, and uh, Tennessee didn't commit as many to the box as I thought they would, and we still didn't have uh, still didn't have a super great time on in the running game. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, that would be one. Like the offensive line has got to get it together this week, and I think they can, yeah. you know, but it's just it, it's, it has to be better than it was last uh, last week for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. Do you want to talk about Alabama? I do want to talk about Alabama. So subjective narratives. So starting big and getting small until only two or three people really enjoy what it is we're still talking about is kind of our our whole. And they're all on this Discord call with us. (laughs) So the big narrative, subjective narratives, the forever subjective narrative of this matchup is will Saban continue the streak of being undefeated against his disciples? I thought that for a moment Lane Kiffin was going to beat Bama, uh, but Bama just completely Bama over Ole Miss um, and Saban is still 21-0 against his assistant coaches so how do you feel about that you know big brain going in I mean look the answer is that the reason that Saban is 21-0 is because in you know 19 of those times he's had clearly the better coach uh, the better coached and more accurate um, or more you know talent laden roster than the other mm-hmm. guy right and in the two times that he didn't he just outcoached Kirby so like I or that it was you know a tie, so I think it, it, it's sort of starting to kind of be like, yeah, Nick Saban wins against teams that he's better than because he's a really good coach. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really think the Saban disciple thing is the reason. It's just because you have to have a special team to beat Bama most years because they're good and they've mm-hmm. been really good for you know fifteen years at this point. And so it's like I or not fifteen, like twelve, a shockingly yeah. long yeah. amount of time. So I do, I do sort of feel like. It is it is a it is a statistic that is sort of like overquoted because the real answer is they are good because they're good. Like yeah. he's won twenty two of those games or whatever, and if he wins twenty three this weekend, it won't be because his students can't beat him. It's because most people can't because he wins most of his games. Like it's mm-hmm. not it's not. There's nothing like special about it. Like like I don't know. I this is one of those subject are, you meant to get me riled up on this bullshit, oh, yeah. didn't you? That's the whole point of this segment. <laughs> the, this is a narrative. This is a narrative that is stupefying to me and it and it comes from smart people because it's just like, yeah, that's like if I was a if I was a like elementary school teacher and then somebody was like, well, you know, in the th- in the 23 times that Mr. F- Mr. Lawrence has tried to like fist fight his students, he's won all 23. <laughs> Nobody would be like, oh, man, what does that mean about the SE? What does that mean about Mr. Lawrence's school? They'd be there like, A, Nathan, why are you fist fighting children? And B, of course you beat all of their asses. They're children. Like, <laughs> it's not like a, it's not like some super like. There's no secret. Yeah, there's no secret. He wins because he has the better team most of the time. And, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I also sort of don't really think that there's like a profile for how to beat a Bama team. I feel like the way you beat a Bama team is you just have a really good clean night and or you have one player that just kind of goes off mm-hmm. or you wait for them to be disinterested. Like, that's the answer. Building off that, the next narrative I've kind of been seeing is this game will decide the season, uh, which I find interesting because the, I, I imagine the, the reasoning behind that and the idea behind that they're trying to push is that whoever wins this game kind of wins football um, in 2020, <laughs> 2021. Uh, so to speak. But at the same time, we haven't seen Ohio State play a single down of football, and we won't for another 10 days, I believe, the 24th, whatever date that is. But and I will say the only other team I feel that I saw play solid defense all weekend was Clemson, who is still, I consider, to be probably the best team in, in the nation, aside from Georgia. But what, what are you thinking about this game will decide the season? I mean, Texas A&M beating Florida sure sort of changed that, huh? I mean, it like, sure did. If you think Florida's going to take another loss, like the the cocktail partner may or may not matter. I mean, this game's important, but 
you probably have to beat this team. You have to beat Bama at least once. And if you beat mm-hmm. them the first time, you might have to beat them twice. So, like, yeah, it matters. But I don't if, – if UGA wins this game, I still fully ex- expect to see Bama again. Right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, who's going to – who's going to – who else on the remaining schedule is going to beat them? Mississippi yeah, State? I don't think there's anybody. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> right? Like, Auburn, maybe. But, like, Auburn maybe. did not – Kentucky. Yeah. That'd be wild. Kentucky's, I mean, Kentucky's playing very simple football. Uh, very simple, like vintage the SEC old, football. The old 24 to 2. Uh, no, Kentucky, Kentucky plays garbage offense, right? They won that game with like 150 yards of offense total. <laughs> That's Which not just kind of, like I said, SEC vintage football. Like it's not a high offensive game. It's you, you made the le- least mistakes and you had a quarterback who has no business being a quarterback necessarily. <laughs> Yeah. So that's kind of uh yeah, it, it, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can I can buy into this a little bit, but I don't think this is the game between these two teams that will decide the season. I think if anything, they do see each other again in the SEC Championship as long as things go well, and that game may decide the season. But still yeah. it's it's really excluding anything I mean, from Ohio State. The thing is, if you're if you're Alabama, you almost like the SEC West looks like it might be Garbo this year. And like if you're Alabama, mm-hmm. you've probably already beaten the best team on your schedule in Texas A&M. Unless LSU just fixes its defense in three weeks. Like, who else are you worried about on that schedule? Like, Alabama can probably afford to lose this game more because uh, Florida is still really good at offense. Moving into stats worth highlighting is the next step. And one thing I think that would be really helpful is to look at Alabama's worst game of the season, which is arguably last week. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I mean, I think kind of inarguably, actually. Yeah, not even. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty objective to say it's their worst game of the season. It did not look like an Alabama team on either side of the ball. Offensively, I've never I don't think I've ever I've never seen an Alabama team score what 63 points or allow that many points to be scored on them. But it just seemed like this is something we said off air is that Saban is just kind of he he has this innate ability to emulate whatever team and coach he's playing, um, which is just it's really interesting and it's very neat that he's able to do that um yeah and just to kind of find the things that get under their skin and what he needs to do to win the game but can you can you share with me any any things uh anything from that game that may kind of lead to what things we need to see out of our georgia team uh, over this weekend and, and what sort of things we don't want to see based on what we may have seen this past weekend i mean you want to the thing you don't want to see is Najee harris running free because he's yeah. really good and and I, and I mean, he's going to get runs against even this defense because I think he's really good. I mean, the biggest thing I think, and I, I think Richard Johnson, who is like RJ underscore rights, is he's one of the few uh, Florida fans that I will follow on Twitter, had a really good tweet about this. If you look at the pass chart for the Texas A&M Alabama game and the Ole Miss Alabama game, it's really clear what teams are doing. And it's that they're just like attacking the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. And and like like there was like 60, 70% completion rate to the middle of the field within five yards of the line of scrimmage, which is like, that's not an Alabama number. Right. And, and I think Alabama has some problems at defensive back, but it also has some problems at inside linebacker and coverage. And I just do wonder, like, you know, I mean, I don't know. I I'm still sort of up in the air about my prediction on this game. And so you'll find that out when I find it out, when I say it out loud, but mm-hmm. I also just like, I, I really am starting to feel like that, you know, the way you win this game is you just keep throwing to Kyrus Jackson in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is going to be the plan because you got to get guys out of the box and you got to get the run game going. But they have a good enough defense and, the, you know, the UJO line has struggled enough that you can probably pretty reliably uh, assume that that's not going to happen just by like imposing your will or whatever. Yeah. So I think I think it's going to be attacking the middle of the field is the biggest thing. And and we okay. saw, you know, uh, Ole Miss's tight end, whose name is escaping me right now, just actually absolutely ate their lunch on tight end seam. And that is absolutely what we're going to try to do. So the looking at FPI rankings, uh, the efficiencies of both these teams, Alabama is overall number one. Their offense is number one. Their defense is 19th and their special teams are 24th. Georgia's overall third. Uh, offensively, they're 30th ranked. Defensively, number one. Uh, and special teams number three and so we'll kind of see how those things make up for us but hopefully that that the biggest difference between the two two teams is that our our offense being ranked 30th and their defense being ranked 19th but really in the grand scheme of things i don't feel like that's all that different considering 
Alabama's uh, efficiency ranking on defense is 68.9 to Georgia's 57.2. And so that margin is a bit smaller compared to uh, the offensive uh, ranking for Alabama's 97.4 to Georgia's 96.2 defensively. And so number one offense, number one defense. Uh, I'm curious to see or to know, I wish I could know how inflated that may be from this past weekend, but who can say who's to know can you tell us nathan it is it is going to be inflated just because that was literally a record-breaking sec game right it was the the most yards mm-hmm. ever in a game that didn't go to overtime um so yes it is it is slightly inflated but they probably are still a top five offense at worst they just have a lot of talent but yeah i mean i think it's obviously going to be strength on strength right and i actually think mm-hmm. that weirdly enough what is going to decide this game is what did the two worst units do what does mm-hmm. Alabama's defense do against UGA's offense and vice versa? So you have some SP plus numbers here you want to hit us with? Yeah, um, just some quick SP plus stuff. I like SP plus more than FPI for mm-hmm. various readings because, A, I know what the calculations for FP plus are. <laughs> so Georgia or uh, SP plus has Alabama at third, uh, 26.3 rating, which is 26 points better than the average team. Uh, Georgia's at fourth, 24.2, which is 24 points better than the average team. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, they also, Bill Connolly also has Alabama's number one ranked offense at 46 and UGA at, uh, which is 46 points better than the average offense rate. And then 42, uh, UGA ranked 42nd at 31. So that's like, you know, a 43 point gap, a, uh, or a 43 uh, ranking gap or whatever. But the actual raw number gap is about 15 points different. Defensively, Alabama is 22nd. Uh, UGA is first. But if you look at the raw numbers gap between them, it's about 15. It's or 12 rather as opposed to 15. So it's interesting that like, like you were saying, the difference between Alabama's offense or Alabama's offense and UGA's defense or whatever is not very big. But there is there is a there is a pretty remarkable difference between uh, Alabama's defense and UGA's offense, right? Because like UGA's offense to this year has been sort of like secretly not great and like mm-hmm. it was not secretly not great in the arkansas game but in the auburn and uga and uh, tennessee games outside of some big plays and like some really good drives it was also very uh sort of sneakily bad right lots of three and outs lots of failure to run um i think that that difference is really what's going to decide this game is like whether or not georgia can play above what it has played in the past uh special teams bill has alabama's 15th and uga is third so continue to be pretty dominant in special teams. I mean, we, we can go ahead and get on to like, you know, things we want to see. But like, oh, yeah. I think really this game comes down to can Stetson Bennett and the offensive line deliver? Because uh, mm-hmm. if they can, you got a shot. And if they can't, then, you know, you're going to have you're going to have a long night, probably. Well, gonna, well uh, dig dig into that a little bit more. Like, what does that look like? What uh, Like, if we're sitting down and watching on Saturday, what? is going to be indicative of Stetson Bennett and this offensive line delivering. It's not just points on the board, but what can we see from the team? If UGA just like can run the ball from the beginning of the game, that's not great news for Alabama. Because you got to hmm. figure that even if UGA's defense gives up more points and yards than it has in the past, because, you know, Alabama's offense is very good, that they're going to get some stops. This is not going to be a track meet where there's no stops, right? So... If UGA can do the thing that it wants to do, like deep down in his heart, Kirby Smart, despite hiring Munkin, despite how much better the offense has looked in a lot of ways, including just like schematically, right? And and the results as well. Despite all of that, if Kirby Smart had his druthers, he would run the ball up the middle on you and let you score zero points. And he would do it until the game is over. So mm-hmm. I really think if you can't stop the run, you're going to lose to Georgia in general. If George, If Alabama can't stop Georgia's run, running game, Georgia's got a pretty good chance. They really do. And so I think it starts there. If Georgia can just like scheme some run open, whether that's, you know, getting a little bit more creative schematically or it's uh, trying to do some short passes and some like end around and reverses, but just to get the run game going, they got a shot. Now, if Stetson Bennett, I think, and th- and this is a good transition into like things we want to see, you know, Stetson Bennett has not looked got good with guys in his face. And a lot of that's offensive line play. He had, there was an incompletion we covered on the battle hymnal where he had, uh, he had like a corner blitz coming in, like corner fire coming in, and he just missed the open guy. And some of that is, 
you know, offensive line not shifting protection. Some of that is wide receiver not reading the hot route. But like Bennett has is I, I am not I, I try not to hate on individual players. And I think Bennett has done way better than any of us expected, way better than I expected. I don't think anyone came into this year and was like, yeah, Bennett's gonna Stetson Bennett is gonna come out and freaking deal for three games, which he has to some extent. But he is gonna have some contested throws. And he has had some bad throws that have not been taken advantage of of this year. And I just, my question is just, how is it going to look for him when, you know, he's got a dude in his face or when he has to throw into double coverage or a tight window or, and, and, and he's shown some of that. Like he's shown that like, if he has a little window over the middle, he can deliver the ball well. And that's great. But like when he has a dude in his face and he doesn't have a clean pocket, he has had, he has thrown a couple of balls that should be picks. Right. And so what I want to see is either Stetson Bennett with a clean pocket all night, in which case I think it's a pretty good chance Georgia wins, or Stetson Bennett just like finding the hot guy out of the blitz. What do you want to see? What I've got here is just kind of thinking. I mean, the number one thing I feel like we got to stop is Najee Harris, obviously. I mean, he is probably, in my opinion, he, he's probably like the first running back candidate for Heisman sent. I feel like the last one was what, like Melvin, was it Melvin Gordon or Mark? It was Mark Ingram, I feel like, that won the last Heisman the la- as a running back. Yeah, it was uh, Ingram, I think. It was Mark Ingram. So I feel like he's our, he has to be the person that has like the best resume at this point as a running back since Mark Ingram. Yeah, um, I mean, five, five touchdowns really great do that. Yeah, I mean, he was just, they could have very easily thrown the ball to anyone else. But, you know, uh, we have to do something about him. And I feel like if we stop him, then we're also going to have to do something to contain Mac Jones. You know, if that's put it in the air, then we have to be able to cover properly. But it's really just we have to be able to contain Bama's top three weapons being Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and Waddell. I mean, and they have other wide receivers too, but those are the top three that if Bama goes off this weekend, then those are the three that we're going to be hearing the most about, I feel. Um, and it's going to be through a variety of, of means, but it just depends on whatever we decide to stop first is going to be the inverse of what it is that Bama is going to have to push to win this game. And I think that the answer for, for me, at least, would be to you have to you have to keep the run contained. You have to keep Mac Jones. You have to keep Najee Harris contained and uh, you have to, to to push the all of our defensive backs out and keep them under. Um, to keep up Bama from from scoring any explosive uh, touchdowns, um, there will be explosive plays. There will be explosive touchdowns, most likely, because they made that very important, uh, apparent last week. And and Mac Jones has no problem doing that. Uh, Mac Jones went, of course, twenty eight for thirty two, four seventeen, and two touchdowns last weekend, which is unreal. But so did uh, Matt Corral. He basically did almost the exact same thing: twenty one for twenty eight, three sixty five, and two touchdowns. And so it's. It's one of those things where it's like, what well, is Mac Jones really uh, the quote unquote truth or is was Ole Miss's defense just really that bad? <laughs> but it could be said for either of those teams. And so it's hard for me to ask for any one thing that I want to see, I guess, is what I'm getting to. I think that, that I would roll that into something that I want to see, which is that it's pretty clear that if you let Mac Jones have an uncontested pocket, that he will just absolutely rip you to shreds. Mm-hmm. and i i think you've got to get in his face like i i, I yeah. absolutely think and you know i think we have the defensive line to do that and we have not been blitzing a lot this year we've been taking bringing one or two guys but like i saw this quote from a defensive coach um talking about george's defense about how it's a weird contradiction because they bring guys all the time from weird places but they only end mm-hmm. up bringing three or four guys most of the time so it's like yeah they're blitzing dudes but then they're also dravon Trayvon walker into like you know a zone right and yeah. so i i I think you've got to get in Mac Jones' face because and and Ole Miss does have a bad defense, but I think the biggest thing that they did is they never affected his sight lines. They never affected his you know his his where he wanted to be in the pocket. And yeah, he's a precision passer and he's got a good arm. And if you don't get in his mm-hmm. face, I mean, you're kind of like you're kind of done, right? And so I think you're gonna have a bad day. Get, yeah, getting getting because if you give him time in the pocket, he's gonna get the ball out and really. If he gets the ball out cleanly to any of those dudes, even Harris out of the backfield, they're going to get yards after the catch, even against a very good defense. And so I think, you know, you you have to you have to affect him. And it doesn't mean you have to sack him eight times or whatever. You have to just affect his where he is in the pocket. You have to move him off his spot. 
You have to make him hold the ball. You have to make him double pump, right? And I think UJ can do that to some extent. But if you let him have a free reign, he is going to absolutely shred you. I have enjoyed seeing this defense kind of it seems like they make the it's somewhere between like cleaning up and making plays happen like the they don't always the the defensive plays aren't always intended to be what they end up being but there's always pressure from somewhere if that makes sense mm-hmm. like like what you're saying there's not it's not always intended to be an all blitz but it just kind of ends up being that because this defense is just so talented and so strong uh and so i'm curious to see if that'll continue against this this Alabama offensive line but I'm hoping that it does uh and I'm hoping that this offensive line bleeds similar to the way they did this past weekend um <laughs> do you bleed do you bleed so let's get into some over-unders I'm gonna have to yeah. think through some real quick I'm gonna give it a second hold on for nothing Freddie Freeman that's my MVP <laughs> like I have to tell you that like I am not I think sexuality is fluid and this is not me as a straight man saying some shit that is just like (laughs) dumb and heteronormative. I do genuinely think that like, like Ronald Acuna is a deeply attractive man. Like his personality, his swagger, like everything about him. Like he popped up after going first to third on that hit and just absolutely came up flying. And it was just like, dude, Ronald Acuna is hot. (laughs) Like, and I'm not being like, Oh, I love him because he's, he's a baseball player. I like, like that dude is attractive. Sorry. When I saw, uh, I go to the, I go to the games like once a year with Ryan. Um, I haven't gone this year, but usually I'll go a couple, you know, one or one or two times a year. And Ronald Acuna, when he came up, his like, um, he had some sort of like reggaeton, uh, like almost like something like reggaeton, like salsa music is what I could describe it as me being ignorant to any of yeah. those styles of music. Um, and he like, salsa up to the plate and it was sexual so i i understand completely what you're saying (laughs) ronald acuna is like like ronald acuna hitting home runs going first to third taking walks but doing all of it with like 35 chains on is unironically (laughs) it's like the best part about it's the absolute best part about major league baseball like that is not a joke like that should be major league baseball's future is just like why not like Mm -hmm. just be the korean baseball league like why not be the KBO. Anyway, let's talk about football. You got an over-under for me? I got one for you. Yep. I'll hit you with an over-under. Here hit it me. is. First one over-under. One and a half UGA botched snaps. Have we worked it out of our systems? Are we still going to have to... Are we going to crumble under pressure into this game? Oh, hard under. Because if Trey Hill has another botched snap, they're just going to pull him. Oof. I hope we don't see it. Yeah. I, I think it's got to be under. If This is the kind of game... like I think you've said it. I don't know if you were on air or not earlier. But the thing about playing Bama, if you... If you want to beat Bama, it has to be a perfect game. And this is not the kind of game where we can botch a snap again. Well, you, and you, you certainly can't botch a snap on the first play of the game. No, absolutely and not. then, you know, give up seven points just out of nowhere. All right. Hit me with yours. Um, over under 0.5 Stetson Bennett interceptions. So he doesn't have an interception yet on the year. But if there's going to be a team that he throws an interception to, this may be it. Uh, but this also, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think we're going going to be putting Bennett into situations where he has to make those difficult decisions. Like he's going to have to continue threading the needle like like he's been doing. But I think this is a game that we're going to have to put the the run game to the test and really, you know, get that started to to make everything else work out. So I'm going to have to say under. But tell me why I might be wrong. I'm going to say over because I just think. He's thrown two or three balls this year that definitely should be, mm-hmm. should have been picked. And, you know, you, uh, Bama, I think, has some problems at cornerback, but they got dudes that have hands. Mm-hmm. And I just think, I, I just think he's going to throw one under pressure. And we might yeah. win. I mean, he could throw a pick and we still win. It's just like, oh, I yeah. don't, I, it's hard to stay clean for anybody against Bama. My second over-under is Najee Harris, 76 and a half rushing yards. I get this number because we are now averaging only 38.3 rushing yards per game, uh, this Georgia defense is. And so that's me being generous and doubling that for him, which is, I feel like it's not being super generous because it's it's him we're talking about. But but what do you think? I take over on this. Okay. Because I just, I think you could have a very good day and win the game and, only, and give up 100 yards to Najee. Right. Because mm-hmm. 
that would still be his lowest total on the year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I do. Yeah. And, and, and I also want to say, like, I, it's not that I necessarily think that, like, he's going to just tear us up. I just think that dude is a really good player. And if they want to run him enough, he'll get his yards. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think they're going to run that much because I think we have a very good run defense. But if he does, I think, you know, we're in good shape. Even if he does, I think we could be in good shape, rather. I think over is the safe bet here. Um, I know that in the past, I feel like Georgia has been in games like this where we're playing such a skilled player, uh, like a player like this who just kind of goes off against other teams and it's kind of the the linchpin to an offensive scheme. We've done a really great job of shutting down single players like that as long as they're not a quarterback. Uh, when the situation of quarterbacks, I feel like we shut down at least a dimension of their game, but I don't know how much we can shut this guy down um, if we want to keep... I- Bama for See, scoring this is, explosive this plays. Is my, is this thing. is my thing is, okay, so I, I do want to get this out there because I, I have, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I, do, I think he'll go over that just because I think he's a good back. But I also do kind of feel like it, this is the best offense that we've played and it's not close. Yeah. So is UGA like, you know, negative one rushing yards without adjustment? Good. Probably not. But I don't think it's, UGA is very good. And I, and I, and it's like, I don't think UGA is going to give up 30 points to Bama. I just worry that if Bama scores 28 points, it might be enough. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so that's that's my concern. I, I think UGA is going to have a very good day defensively because I think UGA plays sound ball. And, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to give up some points and probably some big plays to, you know, uh, Waddle and Harris and all that. But, like, I think UGA plays is going to continue to play really good great team defense because that's what they've done all year. The question is just, you know, where are our points coming from? Because I don't. Despite all the progress we made, this is still a below average in the SEC offense, right? And so that's what it's going to come down to. All right, let me let me hit you with one here. Um, over under one and a half, or over under 0.5 Pickens TDs. So last year, I think last game was like his first game in like six or seven games without a touchdown. Yeah. And, you know, some of that was because he just didn't get separation. Some of that was because they bracket coveraged him. Some of that was because he wasn't targeted or in the game plan as much. I'm going to say over. I know that they're going to definitely cover him tight, but... It, Bama did not look good against explosive run or explosive passes at all last weekend, and so I think mm-hmm. that Pickens could come away with one, maybe two touchdowns on on the night. And if he comes away with two, I will be so jazzed. He can squirt me with his butt damn water bottle all he wants. That's fine. Yeah, um, I'm gonna say over. I'm, I'm gonna say over two because I think it might be like one of those reactions where it's like you have, if you are Bama and you know teams have been shredding you up the middle of the field, then you're gonna ask your cornerbacks to adjust how they play and you're going to take safety help off of it's going to be hard for them to try to address the middle of the field with safety help and keep pickings down right mm-hmm. and i just think if you just have that in your mind as a bama cb that y'all have been giving up a lot of yards in the middle of the field and you take inside leverage on one play five nothing atlanta by the way if you take inside <laughs> leverage on one play when you shouldn't pickings has the talent to get past you Right. And mm-hmm. so I just think UGA will have some success in the middle of the field against against Bama. And that will probably be what opens up things for Pickens, I hope. Uh, this last one, I was really excited to see the UGA running backs really, really getting out there. We have five running backs right now. And I feel like we've been able to say this in the past, like three or four running backs who could start just about anywhere in the country. I feel like we have five solid running backs that could honestly start anywhere in the country. Yeah. And uh, so my over-under is three and a half running backs with 25 plus rushing yards. Three and a half. Oh, damn. I'm going to say under because I don't know about Cook's health. If I knew for a fact okay. that Cook was going to play, I would probably say over. But I'm Is there something out, out about his health right now? He didn't play. Um, he didn't play at all. He was scratched. They said he could have gone against. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said he could have gone against Tennessee if they needed him. So, I mean, I would assume he'll be in there. But I do think that uh, Kendall Milton would be your fourth guy who would get those 25 yards. But he also yeah. had two fumbles in the in the Tennessee game. And he looks great, dude. He looks like he looks, he looks like so Nick good Chubb to me. Like yeah. Graham, Graham was saying this uh, on the Battle Hymnal. And I agree. Like, I think he he kind of runs with like Nick Chubb pad level and he just doesn't ever stop his legs. He looks great, but he's got to He's got to take care of the ball. Um, yeah. He's so big. Yeah, I'm going to say under. And we even had Jermaine but, uh, Burton out there. Yeah, but that wouldn't be a running back. I will say, I want to say over because I think it'll be four. And I I, I believe, I believe uh, <laughs> that it could be four. I'm happy. Because I think that. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I want I, I want to believe. I, I, I feel yeah. like 
X Files style. He was I dressed did. out during the, the 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 James Cook was dressed out during the Tennessee game. He just didn't go. Yeah, and they said he could have yeah. gone if needed. I think he's got I mean hamstring kind of thing. I, I can't remember what it was. Over under one point five UGA sacks caused. This is good. Mac Jones has been sacked four times in the year, and they have not. They played uh, teams that are are greatly uh, less talented. Uh, is the nicest way I can put that uh, when compared to the Georgia defense, and so. I'd like to think that this will be over. I think that, yeah, like you said earlier, we need to put pressure on Mac Jones. If this were 2.5, I would have a harder time saying over, I think. But I think two or three sacks is not that out of the question here uh, on this game. Yeah, I'm going to say over too. I guess this is just a question of like, do you think that UJ's offensive line or UJ's defensive line can do what it has done to many other people against Bama? And I, and I, yeah. you know, I don't think that looks like five sacks, but I just think, UGA just has too much talent, man. And they, they, yeah. they, in particular, like outrush talent, like quarterback pressure talent at UGA is just ridiculous. And that, from all levels of the defense, they've got dudes who can blitz. To make this, to, to, you know, muddy the waters a bit more about this question, though, is this a game where, because we've said it before, I feel like, especially against Bama, we're like, well, we got to play a game where we are putting pressure on the quarterback the whole game from the start. But is this a game that we do that or we play more of a contained game and give them yards, let them be just under efficient the whole game and just give them yardage? Yeah, I mean, you like kind of play bend, don't break. I figure that's yeah. what we'll probably do. Yeah, it hasn't worked in the past necessarily. <laughs> it's worked, but it hasn't won the game. I mean, you don't want you you want you don't want to let Waddle get behind your defense. And there have been some no. receivers that got behind UJ's defense shorts did it a couple of times that hasn't been able to connect. So I think, you know, you're going to see a little bit more, a little bit, a slightly more conservative game plan from Kirby. Yes. So this game is predicted with a six point line in Bama's favor, uh, which is it's funny. I, I think there's a special teams joke in there somewhere. Um, the over under is 57 points for the spread. Would you like to paint me a picture? Was 67? Jeez. 57. 57. Oh, okay. That's more reasonable. I was like 67, yeah. bang the under. That's my picture. I'm saying, I'm going to say Bama 28, UJ 24. And I have not been great at predicting who's going to win UJ Bama games because I've picked UJ a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, I I just think that, and this is no shade to the mailman. This is actually more about the offensive line than anything else. UJ's offensive line, a lot of talent, still sort of coming together on a play in and play out basis. And I just don't know. UJ's offensive line has looked bad against defensive lines it shouldn't have looked bad, bad against. And even though I think, you know, Arkansas is probably better than we think they are on the defensive front, but I just think, you know, Tennessee gummed up the offensive line uh, and gummed up the running game last week with just defensive alignment. And I don't know how much better Tennessee's defensive line is than Bama's. And I think that's really what it's going to come down to. And I think it's going to be a close game. I think it'll go four quarters, but I just don't know that we have the weapons on the offense now if i have to come back on here and eat crow a i'll be very happy to and b it wouldn't shock me i mean i think there's a world where uj gets the run game going sets a minute has a good night uj wins this thing you know four or five points but i also think i mean if it's if it's close which i think it is i think it's a two or three point game right three or four point game mm -hmm. um i think uj covers but i just don't see if it's close, you got to defer to coaching, right? And to this point yeah. in the matchup, you know, Kirby Smart has been outcoached by Nick Saban. And so I would love to be proven wrong. And if I need to come on here and eat crow, I will gladly do it. Mm -hmm. But that is just where that's where my head's at. I think this is a game where it's going to start out. Bama's going to get get a few over on us. We're going to go. They're going to go up like 14-0 and we're all going to be upset. And then George is going to have to kick a field goal It'll be 14-3. Our defense is starting to kick in. We're starting to figure things out. Uh, we could get another field goal 14-6 going into halftime. Uh, when we come out, I think we make some adjustments. Uh, we see Georgia get the first touchdown out of halftime. So it goes up 14-13. Uh, we scored another touchdown 14-20. I think that at that point, um, Bama's probably going to put us at like 21-20. And then we, we we do score a final touchdown to to kind of finish the game out. And, and we see a Georgia 27, Bama 21 game is what I'm hoping for. 
that's kind of in my, in my heart of I hearts. Think, I, it's ridiculous, think, but it feels no, good. No, I don't think I don't think it is ridiculous. I think what you're saying is if Bama is worse than we think they are on on offense because they played Ole Miss and UGA is as good as we think they're on defense, then I think that's a very reasonable outcome, right? I think mm-hmm. the question just becomes if Bama is just okay at defense, then then I think this is a that's a problem for UGA. I and really I don't think it's anything about Bama's offense being worse than we think it is. I think that it's our defense being even better than we know it is. Is is kind of what I'm right. I'm thinking this is going to fall to. All right, but I yeah, feel good. I, I think both of those are very reasonable predictions. And yeah, now that we've said that, UJ is going to win this game like eighty-five to three or something. And <laughs> we're all going to be <laughs> team chaos, reign supreme. Yeah, and it's going to be because Nick Saban like lit himself on fire and opened a portal to hell in the middle of the game. Team, <laughs> they're playing with like ten men on the field most of the time. All right, uh, let's go to let's go to our everyone's favorite segment. Oh yeah, ask CBC the hashtag kind. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, if you want to hear your question, ask on the show. Make sure you get it to us before Monday at 7 p.m. You'll hear your question on the show. You can send it to us uh, over Twitter or hit us on Facebook or get on our Discord for just a dollar a month. But the very first yes. one comes from GBoy151. Kiaris Jackson, a.k.a. the pride of Peach County, was a true baller last game. Pickens has been a little quieter, though. Can we quantify just how much attention Pickens has been drawing and how much it's helped Kiaris and others? Uh, we can quantify that. I have not done the work to do that, but we could. Um, <laughs> it's quantifiable. Yeah. And and I think you, you can't say anecdotally that, you know, a lot of times what's his face is getting shade, um, shade pr- is getting shade protection or whatever, or shade coverage uh, Pickens is. So a, a lot of times Pickens will have a safety over the top of him. So I think, I think it is quantifiable, but I just haven't done the stats for it. <laughs> but so i guess in uh in real time like in a game like what would you see from what what sort of things are happening as far as like schematically like what plays are being called and what what, what can you see on the field to see if pickens is really drawing away coverage well i mean if you see an incomplete pass to pickens and he there's a corner in trail which would be like a corner like two or three steps behind him um and not just a corner hauling ass trying to catch up with him but a corner like mm-hmm sort of deliberately laying off and then you see a safety rotate over the top that's that's like a a shade coverage right where you've got a safety coming down on top of him he's getting bumped a lot at the line of scrimmage so if you just see at the snap if someone if they if they lay hands on him that's a pretty good sign that they're trying to take care of him um and you'll also if you just see like one easy way to track it is if if there are two safeties on the field some some of the time and if there are two safeties in the field, a lot of times one of them will roll at the snap. So one of them will shift in one direction or the other, either for run support or to support one of the f- sides of the field um, in passes. So if you are watching the all 22 or the replay, a lot of times you can just look like, okay, Pickens is on the boundary side and at the snap, the safety goes to the boundary side. Even if the safety doesn't end up covering Pickens, a lot of time, like directly, like putting hands on him or anything, a lot of times that's going to be enough in the read, in the like route tree or the read option from Stetson that he's just not going to go there because there's probably a mismatch on the other side because of that. Bama does not always do that. They don't always double Mm -hmm. people. I suspect that Pickens will have a pretty good game because sometimes they don't and because their cornerbacks have looked a little suspect at times. Uh, But he has been drawing a lot of attention. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that yeah second question comes from joel to what degree do you believe the play it safe card was used in the tennessee game to hold back for the upcoming alabama game in parentheses here we have in reference to plays keeping players fresh etc etc well i mean okay so this is a like a weird thing that we've talked about and been wrong about a lot it's like there's still bullets Mm -hmm. in the gun for james coley and i don't buy that i think what i do think is if you are winning a game by enough that you put in your second team, which we were, it is pretty easy for you to not run anything offensively that's that's sexy. It's pretty easy, right? And so I I do believe that that is happening. I don't believe that it's like there's some magical level of offense that, you know, we're going to suddenly do. Um I think it's just that like we haven't had to really scrape the bottom of the barrel because the last two games we haven't needed it, right? And we've had the We've had the subs in. And if you watch what they've been running when they put the second team in, I mean, UGA did this thing a couple of times, uh, once against Tennessee, and I guess 
the last drive Stetson was on, um, it was not the second team, but there were a lot of dudes who had not been starting the rest of the game, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, I I I do think that there's still more to this offense schematically, but I do think that a lot of it is just execution and just the ability to like execute route trees. I think a lot of what has been what you'll see new in this offense uh, as the year goes on, maybe not against Bat Bama, is like there are a lot of option routes in Munkin's offense, and I don't think that we have we haven't quite gotten to the part where or to the the time of year where the wide receivers are running those correctly. So I think mm-hmm. we're going to see some more big gains just because someone like correctly ran an option route. Second question: What sort of chemical reaction does it trigger in you to see Georgia actually using a fullback? Uh, vasopressin is the hormone responsible for aggression, memories, and concentration in both sexes. It also compl- constricts blood vessels. It's a cre- its secretion affects men's arousal. There we go. Vasopressin, <laughs> just giant bomb of it right into my the the center of my brain. <laughs> uh, Disney dog asks, "What is Trey Hill's ass made of?" The like bones of a hundred yard sprinter, based on how he picked up that fumble from Jermaine Burton. That dude got down the that dude got downhill. Right? Yeah. I think it's made of <laughs> dreams. Dreams and dreams. Hope. Silly putty. Hope. <laughs> Affection for your mom. Very small. <laughs> Just lots and lots of uh, like sawdust and crumbled up newspapers. Just very uh, hold tightly on. wound. Are you positing that, that Trey Hill's a- ass is a paper mache project? I think it is. <laughs> You're a weirdo. But it's filled with all the best stuff. And uh, glitter from Kirby Smart's secret glitter stash. It's and there's the episode title. All right. <laughs> uh, should the refs of the Arkansas Auburn game have to sit out a few games to learn the rules? Hell yes. Yeah, that was a bad yeah. call. That was a it was, very bad it call. was a bad call, and the worst part about it was the SEC response to it, which was just basically like, "We made a bad call. Deal with it." Yeah, it was like shrug emoji. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, all refs. We did a bad thing. Uh, Ian Boatman asks, how and why is Stetson Bennett the fourth? I mean, I know how he is. It's like, a mm. you know, gentrification and money. Ah, yes. The fourth. I think, yeah, I think why he is is more. Actually, I don't, I think he's probably a pretty blue collar kid. I, I don't want to like accuse him of being classist or anything. Um, how and why, I mean. I, I'm going to steal from Shutdown Fullcast and say that if you, if you, and we are not an SB Nation, well, we're not on Moon Crew. They're not even an SB Nation anymore. I'm going to steal from them and say that, you know, Stetson Bennett is a pontoon boat with a putting green attached to it. Mm-hmm. And that explains both the how and the why. <laughs> Something that they said today that really cracked me up was that only because Stetson Bennett the third just wouldn't cut it. <laughs> well, yeah, he's like a, he's like an Iron Man armor. It's like mm-hmm. Stetson yeah. Bennett Mark IV. <laughs> yep. This is the this version that's specifically that has, made. This is the version that has the lasers so that it can defeat Rhino, the Spider Man villain, and the crossover yes. issue. Yeah. Kyle Sargent asks, would you rather face a rested team or an angry team? I guess he was asking this when we thought that Bama might beat or might lose to Ole Miss. I mean, yeah, I was. I'd rather face a, an angry team because an angry but ineffective team isn't going to go do well against you. Now, are you asking what I rather faced arrested Nick Saban or an angry Nick Saban? Well, there is no such thing as arrested Nick Saban. So the answer is rested. But if, if it existed, mm-hmm. but I don't want to face an angry Nick Saban. Also, FBI accounts for, for arrested team, but it does not account for an angry team. An angry team is not as quantifiable as arrested team. Arrested team with just give every the five Nick's, and a half days. They're the given Nick an Saban extra rage point. Really? The rate, yeah, they are. Yeah, every five and a half days of rest and every thousand miles traveled, like it, those two, you know, five and a half days of rest gives you an extra expected point added, and thousand miles traveled takes away an expected point added. Um, but an huh. angry team is not necessarily quantifiable. Um, at least we haven't done it yet. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Next one. Oh, EPS we need. have we have some anonymous questions who from a mm-hmm. from a longtime listener who has asked questions in the past that because of their job would prefer not to be featured on this POS podcast, which, you know what? <laughs> I don't know why anyone would. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. So his first question, how important do you think practice reps are in terms of which receivers get targets? Pickens' first team, does it then matter who gets practice reps throwing to him uh, versus Jackson at all? I mean, well, Pickens and Jackson start at different positions, right? So they're not going to be fighting for practice reps. I do think they matter in terms of chemistry. You know, if... 
there's a long established track record that if a quarterback has good chemistry and just feels like they can trust a wide receiver, they're going to get targets. So I think that's the biggest one. And here's a question for both of us. And and this question, yes. ask or thought it was just for me, but it's both for both of us. What's your, Nathan, I'm assuming, experience with MTG Arena so far? And Justin has played a lot of MTG Arena too. So do you want to start off that question? And let's try to keep this under like 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's the same as it was for, for Magic the Gathering uh, in the card format as well. I mean, I just really loved, I was always someone who really loved the drafting. Um, I like doing um, sealed and I like doing drafting and I like deck building um, more than I enjoy the constructed formats. And it's something, it, it definitely scratches that itch. Um, I don't get the same satisfaction as I would sitting around a table of eight people and like kind of talking trash to my friends about why they didn't pick certain cards. But you kind of get that. I want to be able to play the same people that I draft with, though, is the only thing I don't like. Oh, yeah. Well, you can in traditional, I want to say, but they don't always mm-hmm. offer that mode. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it fixes some of the problems that Paper Magic has. I don't like not having I, I, I don't like, you know, the sort of like not being able to see your friends kind of th- part of it. Um, But it not having chase rares, which is this thing where like all, most of the rares and e- rare cards in each set are worth like 30 cents and like three of them worth $80. That's kind of mm-hmm. nice. Um. And so it kind of fixes the secondary market because there is no secondary market. And like, that's a core part of the magic experience in the paper version. But I, I'm glad that they did away with it. I mean, I think the thing about MTGA is it's just a competently executed digital version of Magic the Gathering, which is all it ever had to be, right? That's because all it ever had to be. MTG invented collectible deck building car games. Like, mm-hmm. and so it has the most established, most complex rule set. I think it has the best rule set. And so all you ever had to do was just like get something working that worked. And that was it. And then like everything else is gravy. All right, let's move mm-hmm. on because this is not a Magic the <laughs> Gathering podcast. Although there are some very good Magic the Gathering podcasts I will put on. They're really limited are, res- yes. Limited resources and constructed resources are my two favorites. Anyway. Abby asks, do you have any game superstitions? Do you have a lucky hat or lucky socks? I have lucky socks. That are my game socks that I only wear on game day. They're Nike mm-hmm. dry fit red and black socks. And oh, yes. I did change my my entire outfit other than those socks at the halftime of the Tennessee game. And it worked. Mm-hmm. I used to have lucky socks. I don't have any lucky, uh, you know, merchandise or uh, regalia right now for Georgia games. But I used to have lucky socks when I was playing Ultimate Frisbee back in college. Um, I, owned, I, I did not wash them. And I wore them Gross. for three years straight. And oh my god i for the <laughs> record i wash my socks every time i use no, them you did the, not wash these socks it was part of no it. the the power of my socks is that i wore them to the rose bowl like i you can't wash that out never lost a game in those socks <laughs> oh, <laughs> what new fair. uh second question what new non-sports podcast do you recommend okay so i have a sports one because and i just really like it um mm-hmm. split zone duo is like the split zone duo is the spiritual successor to podcast ain't played nobody which is like my favorite ever college football podcast and if you like this you'll like them they do a different thing than we do but it's richard johnson alex kirshner and stephen godfrey um i you if you like this podcast you should be listening to that podcast um non-sports i really like you're wrong about yeah Um, that's a good 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 yeah it's not new it's like 150 episodes in or something but it's just two people and they have a topic each week and it's just like a thing that you've probably heard about like the satanic panic or something that you don't mm-hmm. really know anything about because it's kind of obscure that's very fun it's fun it's well researched i like it what do you have i could write a whole podcast on just other yeah. podcasts give, give me what you have in like two minutes or less um the I, I miss the new part of this but i'll give you just my favorite like maybe top three to five podcasts i listen to on a regular basis the average podcast listener just so everybody knows statistically speaking is uh everyone listens to six on average so if you listen to more or less than that then you are also a statistic top five favorite podcasts number one heavyweight heavyweight is the best made podcast i think i've ever listened to and it makes me cry and laugh every time uh, i think it needs to win a peabody uh number two reply all reply all is fantastic it's a show about the internet and everything therein uh, it's fantastic. I also really love um, uh, One Shot. The One Shot podcast is on the One Shot Network. It's made by James D'Amato. He does quick and easy um, One Shot tabletop role-playing game, RP- uh, just RPGs in general. And he sometimes has famous people on there. I think they are absolutely fantastic. And uh, I love every bit of them, especially since if you're like me, I have a problem with not listening to 
shows in their entirety. And I don't have to with this show because they're one shots. I can listen to all of them just over the course of a week. And he recently had a few of my favorite people on uh, a a run of a game called Sleepaway. And it was fantastic. It's some of the best storytelling I've ever heard. How many is that? Three, four, five? I don't know. Oh, I have one more when we're done with this, but go ahead. Ologies. Ologies for all you nerds out there is a show about science and all the ologies out there. Uh, the ones I would recommend are the ones about fear. It's a two-parter. It's uh, the fearology episodes. They're fantastic. Um, and then number five, one that I've actually started listening to recently that I really like is called Reckon Interview. It's all about uh, Southerners and setting the tempo for... It, it started this year. And so it, it was kind of leading up to the 2020 elections, but it's all about Southern life and how it's all uh, intersecting and how we should be looking at it. Um, very much similar to like the bitter Southerner style of thinking about how there's more to the South than just cornbread and Dolly Parton. But those things are part of it as well. And they intersect with other pieces of Southern life. And I think everyone should listen to it. Two, I would add is um, the, so- the bitter Southerner actually has a podcast. It's a really they great do. literary magazine founded in Athens, run out of Athens partially. But if you like D&D and you like podcasts, there are a lot of D&D podcasts, and I don't want to start a flame war. Some of them <laughs> I don't like. But there's one that I think is very good, and that is not another D&D podcast. It is very it good. Is, it has three really excellent role players, very finely drawn characters, good DMing. And it is edited, but it is not so edited that it feels like it's barely playing D&D, which is like one of the criticisms I have of a lot of D&D shows. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like a D&D game. If you like D&D and you like funny, funny stories, it, it is where I would start. Oh, my God. All right. Can I uh, honorable mention is Dungeons and Daddies. It, <laughs> it's not a Dungeons or it's it's not a, a like a BDSM podcast. It is a D&D pod- podcast called Dungeons and Daddies. And it's Although it just be. they're all just stereotypical dads that are like they are playing a stereotypical uh, Dungeons and Dragons game. And it's absolutely hilarious. Next episode. Bro, Broma, next episode, I said. Next question. Who owns Dan Mullen more, Kirby Smart or his own comments about COVID-19? Uh, well, it's at this point, it's Kirby Smart because he's currently 11 and 1, or he's currently 1 and 11 against Kirby Smart uh, mm-hmm. coach defenses. Football daddy. Uh, I also, I, I added actually to this question earlier because this was asked in our Discord. Uh, a dark horse opinion of mine is Todd Grantham also owns Dan Mullen, it seems. Because yeah, why else well, he's would got, he? He's got naked pictures. <laughs> Uh, Russell asked, name a worse look on the sideline than Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, the sandworms from Coraline in the one (laughs) scene where she sees the sandworms sandworms Uh from Doom. I don't know. The sandworm from the Dune trailer is pretty badass. So that actually might be. It's really cool. Hey, I have a question for you from uh, Irk Russell. Mm -hmm. Mr. Famous Mm. Boy, how has fame changed you since becoming a leading industry expert? Uh. Mr. Mr. (laughs) Number one in the trifecta picks. Number one trifecta pick. On, on in, tally site in the world in tally site yeah just the, just the best smartest industry expert boy i'm the week four leading industry expert uh week seven no overall as of week seven seven four or negative three whatever we're saying um i don't know i mean i, mean, I just it, it's actually honestly um without joking it's been kind of a positive experience just to kind of get me gassed up in an otherwise uh low time um <laughs> uh, to to you know to give you a little glimpse into my life uh, I spend a little bit of time during the week just kind of picking my my making my picks and it's something that is quiet and enjoyable and then uh, it pays off obviously I don't know it's it's been nice <laughs> let's do our our second favorite segment on the day number one in our hearts number two on the scoreboard the Dr. James Fairfield troll corner presented by Cheerwine mm-hmm. the wine the, the wine what gives you diabetes tm 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 uh, we have some questions from Dr. James the the expert himself. is he a doctor yet is it happened He's close, I think. Okay. Um, and then we have, a, we have a listener question that I think fits into this. I think oh, you yeah. might have taken off, but I can remember it. All right. Number one, it is, it is established that Trey Hill's dump truck ass is too big to snap the ball. Does that equate to him being unable to properly wipe? Oh, no. Nah, man. Bidets, baby. Oh, yeah. Trey Hill bidets probably were made for him. totally has a bidet. What is your, what, why is your answer about your favorite RCB stands tune incorrect? Because it is, and that is from a sousaphone perspective. I don't even remember what I said. Would I say... You I said power, power I slaps, so. man. Power slaps. Suck it. I I don't think that back. What is red <laughs> fence this year? Because it looks like a lot of, it looks like just getting to crank it in the stands. And honestly, that sounds like a dream to me. It is that, but it's a lot more annoying. 
everywhere else in terms of practice and logistics and you would not like it having taught you in red coats let me tell you that you would like the cranking in the stands but you would not like the rest of it if this game were the organ system of the body which one would it be and why the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell it's a good answer but it's not the organ system all right we got one more no we're that's what we're doing this is a troll corner we're moving on next answer our next question (laughs) rank the following bays this is from kyle Sargent on discord michael bay cheddar bay baymax Toff Bay, Toff Bay Fong. Oh, number one, Toff Bay Fong. Easily, number Toff two, Bay Fong, number one. Baymax. Number three, Cheddar Bay, because I'm lactose intolerant. Number four, Michael Bay, because I can take him or leave him. Okay, I, we disagree. I would say Toff, okay. number one. Toff is Bay. That's true. Uh, number two, Cheddar Bay, because I'm not lactose intolerant. Number three, Baymax. Number eight, Michael Bay. <laughs> old bay seasoning gets in there before Michael Bay gets in there. Oh, well, old bay for sure. Old bay old is bay, up there. Old bay, old bay might be like low-key number two. Oh yeah old bay fucks it does for sure we know that all right ladies and gentlemen if you like what you heard here tonight you can <laughs> check us out on twitter that man over there with a the beautiful smile is at the justin bray on twitter leading industry expert i am at nathan j lawrence on twitter if you want to if you want to yell at us collectively you can hit us at chapel bell curve if you would like to check out our video show our video sister show the battle hymnal you can find them at the battle hymnal i'm part of that so i guess them is incorrect if you really love what you heard uh, we would love you to leave a review. We haven't been asking we for those, you. but it occurs to me that like it would be nice if you did. So leave a review, leave a review on whatever you use. If you really, really liked what you heard, you should hit us up on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. We have, dare I say, a burgeoning community. Uh, we're Religion. giving all of the proceeds this season to uh, charity, and we think it's a, a fun time. We think you'll enjoy it. So check us out um we will catch you this weekend in the classic city and not tuscaloosa because don't go there even when there's not an airborne pandemic but until then (laughs) go go dogs. dogs